Bear with me. It's the it's, word. It's going to take him forever to say one word. I'm so annoyed <laughs> at you guys. But can you imagine what it's like trying to work with me? It's a nightmare. I'm wearing all pink corduroy right now. Anyways, that's beside the point. The path that we take in life is not always linear. And if anyone knows that, it's today's guest. He has grown and changed through more seasons of life in his short 35 years than many people have in their whole lifetimes. And it's all led him to where he is today, and for that, we are so grateful. We are so excited today to welcome our very own David Kroll, the CEO of Church Home, to the podcast. He's a dear friend of ours and an integral part of the Church Home community. Stay tuned. This is In Good Faith. I'm so excited about our guest today, and I gotta be honest, he is a longtime friend, but I will never forget when I first heard about David Kroll. Yeah, right? Very few people we hear about before we meet them. David Kroll, we heard about him before we met him. Yeah, and I hope this isn't offensive, but the reason I heard about him, that he even was on my map, is suddenly I heard about this guy dating what was the most popular girl at my high school, Jenna, Jenna Davis. Davis, who was so incredible and so gregarious in high school. And Jenna started coming to the church, church home. We were leading and Jenna wanted us to meet this guy she was dating who was from Los Angeles. Well, Los Angeles and was attending a different church at the time. That was a big, I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day where it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes to another church, like a, a competitor? I was going to say, not the churches have rivalries. It's a joke, but... folks, relax. And hold on a second. Oh. Let's not end the story there. He did not just date the most popular girl Good at my point. high school. Yep. He ended up marrying the most popular girl at my high school. And now they have three beautiful children. And for those trying to picture what David looks like, Imagine salt and pepper hair, the strongest hairline in the history of humanity. He has what I like to call Lego hair. David, we really need to let you talk <laughs> since we're talking so much about you. Really enjoying your coworkers is such a blessing. And as soon as we got to know David, obviously there's just nothing not to like about him. David, we're so grateful that you're here on In Good Faith today. Thanks, guys. I uh, enjoy working with you too. Chelsea, I don't know after nearly 10 years of marriage, if Jenna would agree with your statement that there's nothing to dislike about me. But uh, <laughs> I really appreciate that from your perspective, at least. And yeah, Judah, I don't know if there's any human being that appreciates my hairline more than you. So I no, love you guys tons and, and, and super grateful to be with you today. It's definitely what you check out the most in other men, for sure. <laughs> anyway, we didn't come here to talk about your hair. We came here really excited to have this conversation, but really believing that people are going to be really encouraged and get some great insight for how do we end up where we're supposed to end up at the seasons of our life. And if it does sound like David is in a different room in a different city, he is. He he just flew in uh, from Seattle, our headquarters. So David, thank you for taking time and for your diligence and your leadership in our faith community. And I feel like we're talking so much, but I'm going to ask David to tell us a story that actually just came up the other night when we were having dinner, David, Jenna, Chelsea, and I. When you met Jenna and you guys went on your first date, you didn't know, but Jenna on the first date was 
kind of testing you and wanted to know what your big dreams and aspirations were. How did that go down and what was your answer? Yeah. And I could tell when she asked the question, like, you know, when somebody asks a question and you get just enough of an inkling to know what kind of answer they're looking for, that was kind of what happened. So it's on our first date. And she asks me this question and she's like, Hey, so, uh, so what do you want to do with your life? And I know she was looking for the, you know, the big grandiose vision, but to be honest, I'd been through a decent amount of, we just call it life. And I know many of us have been through a decent amount of life, but at a young age, I had uh, already experienced a good amount of, of the realities of the pain and the hardship of the world. And as I was telling her my response to this grandiose question, I knew that it was going to be underwhelming a hundred percent. because my honest answer is I had no clue at that point. Now, prior point in my life, I had had 100% clarity on what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be or where I wanted to be at certain stages or key points of age or, you know, marriage with kids or what kind of home I want to have, how much money I want to be making, all of those things. And life had thrown so many wrenches in my plans at that point that I realized that this big, beautiful life that we get to live for those of us who have chosen to follow the person of Jesus it looks a lot less linear uh, than than it does on paper or in our minds. So my response was something to the effect of, you know, I don't really know, but I think I kind of found a way to repair it somewhat to give her some hope. <laughs> that I still was a pretty a decently motivated guy that if she was to end up with me, I was going to work hard and, and be able to provide for a family and kids. But uh, yeah, it was not the answer that she was looking for to such a big question like, what do you want to do? I want to talk about when you first met Jesus, because your story is so different from mine and Judah's growing up. And Judah and I obviously grew up in church. Our parents introduced us when we were in the nursery together and we fell in love and got married. We have a very unique story. For you, your relationship with Jesus started in a very different way. Yeah, it really did. You know, I grew up in a Jewish household, so the concept of Jesus was very far off for me. Not in a bad way. It just was not what our household was really about. And so Love my family, have an amazing mom, amazing dad. I'm in the middle of three kids, have an older brother, younger sister, really motivated. Uh, my mm-hmm. dad is, is, a, is a really successful attorney and, and has done a, a great job within business and is really sharp, switched on. My mom, same thing. I, I believe when they first met, I think my mom was even uh, more successful in her career at that point than my dad and wow. really just a driven, motivated family. And I very much appreciate that. But because of that, I was exposed to a lot of, uh, I would say, really successful individuals within uh, whatever their respective fields are growing up, just given kind of my parents' community. And and so I always growing up kind of had this mentality of my purpose in life was to make as much money as possible, to marry the most beautiful girl on the world, which I think I still succeeded at that. Um, Thank you so much. But there was this massive bit of fear, I would say, that really clenched me from a young age. I remember there was a family friend of ours and their mother passed away. And it was the first time I thought about death. And I was probably guys only eight years old, but that thought of death really took hold of me. And it, death in my mind was this darkness and this nothingness. And Whoa. it brought so mm-hmm. much fear and anxiety that I kind of just tried to keep really active. Even in my young age, I thought about very deep things like that, but I would never tell anybody. I, I share this with my mom recently. She, she almost felt this guilt. Like, oh my gosh, I had, I had no idea because I wouldn't tell anybody that. So success for me was the driver and performance and found myself actually doing a wide array of really random things. I was uh, an Irish step dancer. If you've ever seen Riverdance before, did that for a while and ended up competing around the world and you, wait, you can't you, gloss you, David over that. David knows I'm jumping in here because I couldn't wait for this juncture in the journey. You have to tell us, what was your world ranking? At one point, I was ranked number seven in the world. 
That's just, individually. Your team was ranked what in the world? Uh, number one. Number one in the world. It's, it's a really normal thing for a young Jewish kid uh, to get into, you know, is Irish <laughs> step dancing. So, <laughs> we, we, we won't David, divert. You can, but to this day, you say. can move your feet faster than any human. I can't even begin to explain. When I discovered this about David at the time I was leading a, a lot of our youth gatherings and you can imagine how many times I would ask David Kroll to come up and David, without fail, would jump on the stage and the moment he started moving his feet, the entire room would erupt. I kind of appreciate that all this for me happened like before the era of social media because it kind of goes <laughs> under the radar. Like They're not like, oh yeah, hey, you're that guy. No, not that I am ashamed of it whatsoever. I loved, I loved what I did. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, so that was really the focus for me was, okay, maybe these things are going to fulfill me and how can I parlay this into kind of su- success in a career or whatnot. And which fast forward, you know, none of that stuff really was working. And so I kind of, I took the traditional path in high school of kind of getting out there and partying and, and having a lot of different things exposed to me. But my senior year of high school, a couple of people invited me to something called Young Life, which um, I was not that familiar with at the time, but I knew it was a Jesus thing. But here's literally the two things I knew about Jesus at this juncture. It's that I was not supposed to believe in him and that we use his name as a cuss word. And if you would have asked me literally anything else, I, I knew nothing about who Jesus was, except the Christians follow him and believe he's God. That's it. And I'm not supposed to believe in it. Wow. So my first time I did decide to go to Young Life, it was the first time I heard about the person of Jesus. And it was the story in the book of Matthew where Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and there's this great storm that comes upon them and they're all freaking out. Jesus is asleep in the boat. They wake him up freaking out, which I can very much relate to given what I just said about fear and kind of mm. placing myself in that boat. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, looks at his friends. and is like, hey, don't you guys have any faith? And something happened in that moment for me where the concept of having faith in something other than my ability to accomplish was a really freeing thought of, oh my gosh, I could maybe believe in something bigger than myself. And so I got my hands on a Bible and I just found myself consuming stories about who Jesus was. And obviously given my history of even you know, being Jewish growing up and studying for bar mitzvah and my familiarity with with some of the Hebrew scriptures really felt like I believe that this is the Messiah and that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's God. Kneel by my my bedside one day and only words I got out were Jesus, I need you and started crying and Mm -hmm. went to bed that night. And and I genuinely, you know, I know not everybody kind of has this transformative experience, but for me, it it truly was and and woke up the next day and, and felt like a completely different person. And yeah, since that point, a lot has been uh, been pretty different in my life, you could say. <laughs> but at that point, if somebody would have told you you'd end up as a CEO of a Christian church, what would your response have been? I mean, even the concept of like CEO and church, like I, I wouldn't have known what to do with that. And my familiarity <laughs> with, with faith constructs and religious organizations was still, thankfully, honestly, was at about a zero. So Honestly, early on, I was so transformed by God. I'm pretty sure anything that I could have done to help love people and show them the love of God in their lives, I I would have been down. But I did not think by any means that this was the path that I would end up at. And uh, yeah, never thought I'd be the CEO of a church. (laughs) And And I love what you said when Jenna asked you that question, what are your ambitions in life? That you said by that point, how old were you when you and Jenna went on your first date? I was 24. When we went on our first date. Okay, so for a 24 year old to say some wrenches had been thrown at you and you'd been essentially beat up enough by life to not have a plan, 
what happened between those years of meeting Jesus and sitting down with Jenna and saying, ah, I don't really know how much of a dreamer plan I have for life. Yeah. You know, a lot of things. I think, you know, one of the first things was even my coming to faith, as you could imagine, was not the most popular concept around some of my family. And so the initial phases of me starting to follow Jesus weren't exactly, you know, not everybody was celebrating. Yeah. And so so that brought its own unique challenges. And then I, I, I really felt, and I use this language and I realize this is Christian kind of faith language, but I felt led or I felt kind of called, you could say, to go to Seattle. And I, I had a, a variety of different paths I could have gone down. I could have joined a show like Riverdance or Lord of the Dance. I had opportunity to go to, to great schools, you know, for dance or to other colleges that were a little bit more esteemed even than the paths that I chose to go down. And I went to a great school, but I really felt called to go to Seattle. And it was the first time I'd experienced that in my life. Whoa. And so you know, that kind of brought me out of that difficult season, uh, but it was kind of on my own within those initial stages of my faith journey. And then even fast forward to, to post-college, there was a girl who I had been, gosh, dear friends with since I was 10 years old. And we dated all through college and got married right out of college. Whoa. So how, how old were you? Man, I got married when I was 21 years old. Whoa. Same with us. Now looking back, such babies. Such babies. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you think you know everything. Yeah. And <laughs> people tell you that. Like, I, I still remember, I believe my dad told me, you know, like, you think you know, which, and I, and I was like, absolutely. And now I look back, I'm like, nah, he was 100% right. <laughs> and we were, we were married for a few years and I got a job with an investment banking. And so we had moved and we're living on the other side of the country. One day I was away on a business trip and I got a phone call from her saying, hey, I, I don't want to be married anymore. And I was so perplexed by that and, and just totally in, in shock. Did you see that coming at all? Were there any warning signs or was it just a complete surprise? You know, uh, looking back, I've asked myself that many times. It was a complete surprise. Wow. And, and should it have been? I, I mean, one would hope it wouldn't be. For me, it was a complete shock and surprise. Yeah. Wow. And I'd spent the next six months basically um, sick to my stomach, doing everything I could, trying to pursue her and, and repair the marriage. But it takes two to desire that. And um, I desired that and, and she didn't. But prior to that phone call, did you feel like you were doing everything, and I'm using air quotes so people can't see, quote unquote, right in life, that you'd graduated from college, mm. you're pursuing this job, but knowing you, I'm sure you were working hard, you married your college sweetheart. Did it feel like you had done all the right things? Yeah. I mean, I never thought my story would be that at 23 years old, I would be divorced. And everything on paper prior to that point was pointing in the complete opposite direction. I mean, I got a job in 2008, which is the complete crash of the markets in investment banking, which this is when Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers were going under. And so it was kind of semi-miraculous that I was able to get these jobs when everybody falling off these big ships is looking for jobs. And here I am, this 21-year-old kid right out of college, getting an amazing job as an investment banker when some of the greatest investment bankers who have been around the business for 20, 30, 40 years are all looking for a job. And somehow I land this job. And, um, so everything had, you know, had kind of fallen into its perfect place mm. for me. And uh, it was a complete shock and it upended everything in my life, 100%. Because you had moved out to be close to her family. So you were living in a different city away from your family. Your job was there. I just can't imagine how it felt like the bottom fell out of life in that yeah. moment. I mean, I found myself and, and I, you know, I haven't shared this with too many people, but I found myself at some points thinking if one more thing happens right now, I don't know if I'm going to make it Whoa. just one more thing, one more thing. And, you know, kind of even close to the point of even thinking about ending 
ending my life within certain moments. And I don't think I was maybe as close as I felt like I was in certain mm. moments, but mm. the, pa- the pain was that real. And I think people always looked at me and, and thought, oh, he's going to do great things. And so it, this reckoning in between h- how is my world coming crashing down right now? And it's not what I want, but I literally can't control it. There's nothing I can do, no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, it's outside of my, my control. And, and that was a pretty helpless feeling. Were you mad at God at that point? Or did you feel like you had been doing all the right things by oh, that's him? that's a good question. And he let you down? Or how did your faith play into that season of your life? Yeah, I, I wasn't mad at God at all. My faith saved my life mm-hmm. is the short answer to that question. Because, it, you know, for months I was trying to pursue reconciliation in this marriage, which is what I believed what, what God wanted. And, you know, I, I was fighting for this relationship and I loved this woman. And um, I literally was driving in my car one night alone, crying, listening to music. And I literally just felt, this maybe only happened two or three times in my life, but I literally felt God almost say, it's okay, let go. And I just heard that voice in my head. It's okay, let go. And that's when I let go and I agreed to kind of sign the divorce papers and transition along. But God, it was God and community. It was people in my life who cared enough to fly from LA to Seattle and to come say, Hey, I'm going to come stay the week with you and be with you. Um, it was friends who said, Hey, I'm going to come from Nashville. I'm going to come from New York. I'm going to come from DC. And I had friends come from all over just to kind of come be with me. And that was an incredible gift. I've never struggled with being mad at God. And, and I don't know why that is. It's just mm-hmm. not the way I'm hardwired, I think. So I, I didn't really blame him. I just looked to him and he was my everything because I felt so isolated, so alone. And I think for really the first time in my life, I felt a complete dependency on God to get through a season. I am so excited about even your willingness to be so vulnerable here on In Good Faith, David. I think a lot of people would probably assume when turning this episode on that it's like, oh, you know, Jude and Chelsea lead Church Home and this is the CEO who runs it. And so I'm sure they're going to be talking about Church Home. But actually, that wouldn't be the case as much as it's your journey and your story has meant so much to me personally. You have had a huge impact on my perspective of the significance and the validity of Jesus as the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Hebrew scripture. There are so many points in your journey where you shouldn't be who you are. So when you look at the whole of your life and you're still in your 30s, but in a lot of ways, your pain, your loss, the pinnacle moments you've had, it's as if you're 70 something. You know, you've really had a pretty wild life to this point. What in fact has been the secret sauce? Yeah, my first reaction to that, and I don't know if this is the right answer. I just think it's been really representatively true in, in my life. And and I think it goes back to what Jenna asked me on our first date. Mm-hmm. And what I was trying to say to her is that I've given up trying to see too much into my future and trying to plan too much into my future. Whoa. But I believe it's all about that next step. You know, Jesus says it in, in Matthew chapter six, verse 27, right? Uh, the lilies of the field. And he kind of goes on to talking about the fact that every day has enough trouble of its own. So basically we should worry about today. Just trust me with today. Wow. And it's a very non-sexy concept, right? It's kind of living in the moment and the present. I think it's becoming maybe more attractive. And there's even a lot of other faith 
religions that have adopted the teachings of Jesus there and have yep. made that a faith practice. And I think it's, it's interesting to know, but it's really been true in my life. I got to wake up today and say, how do I love my kids and my family today? How do I be the best me today? How do I help somebody in my life today? How do I live open-handed today or be generous today? And then it's really shocking and surprising to see where God leads you. And I think a lot of my contentedness in life comes from the fact that I'm not seeking a specific destination because I ultimately we have a greater destination than that in, in, in kind of our life with God. I'm just not buying for one specific goal. I was just going to say, like, I hear Judah say stuff like that. Oh, I just, just stay in today, be present in the moment, take it day by day. And for me, that fits his God-given personality. So it's not that I discredit it, but I think, okay, nice for you to say, buddy, you've never worried a day in your life. But David, for me to hear you say that, and I see how you run the organization. You have amazing goals and incredible plans. So you have very driven. So you have these plans and this goal and this drive that I think is so beautiful and God-given for you and your personality. But to take that and still be open-handed with it and be content in today and not have a specific destination that you feel like you need to arrive at, I think is just one of the most incredible life lessons for people to actually grab hold of and realize that it's not a personality trait to be content in today. But I truly think that we manufacture these things that create anxiety around like we have to, and we must, and Whoa. these external pressures, like January 1st rolls around, everybody makes a list. I'm not, I mean, and I'm all for new year's resolutions, but let's also look at the stats around the failure of new year's <laughs> resolutions. Right? right. And so yeah, I just think there's a lot of external pressures and I think we love stuff that we can put our handles on right? Like we love to feel mm. like we're more in control than we actually are. And I think that's when life gets a hold of you, it helps you realize that you're not in control anywhere near as much as you think you are. It can be a discouraging thought or it can be a freeing thought. And I've just decided, hey, that's adventure for me. We've made a commitment in our family. Anything that we believe God asks us to do. And I say that with an asterisk because you're like, mm. how do I know if God's asking me to do something? It can be through a feeling of, hey, there's two doors open. I feel anxiety thinking about one and peace when I think about the other. To us, that could be God telling us to move in a direction. Or like I said, maybe the two or three times where I literally felt like I heard a voice in my head telling me something. Yeah, Extremely rare, right? But whatever we feel like that is, we're just going to say yes to it. And if that means that you know I'm asked to move to Frankfurt, Germany tomorrow, I don't want to, but I'm down. Let's go. Whatever we feel like God's asking us to do. And that's wow. the adventure that we get to live in living a life of faith. It's not the white picket fence. And if it does end up being a white picket fence, great, but that's not the goal. And is that something wow. that you, I don't know, had to learn, got to learn? Because if I remember your story, right, you got divorced and then you went from being a, an investment baker, making a great amount of money to being a young life leader. And I think raising support or on a really small salary or using an entirely different skill set, if nothing else, than you had gone to school for and learned in the early days of your career. How did that happen? And what was that transition like for you? Because I would imagine that had to feel like quite an adventure. Yeah, I felt like I had talents and gifts to make money. And so I was going to do that. And there's even people in the Bible who do that, right? Mm -hmm. Paul, he makes money so that he can basically pay for his own traveling ministry. Yep. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make money so that I can go give it to the church or give it to different ministries. And I'm going to invest my time into people. And that's what I'm going to do. And there came a really scary moment where, you know, we're touching on all the moments that I feel like I would kind of hear from God in my life. So just <laughs> yeah. for anybody listening, like I'm not that spiritual. This is, we're touching on significant moments in my life. But <laughs> I remember I was actually had transitioned. I was working for a tech company. 
And I felt like I was supposed to put my name in the hat for a role with Young Life. It was a 350% decrease in pay from what I was making <laughs> in tech. And I called a buddy of mine. I'm like, hey, man, like maybe, maybe all God wants for me is just to kind of apply, put my name in the hat. And that's enough. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, one thing leads to another. I go, down the, I go down the whole road and I don't need to get into it all. But um, thankfully, Jenna was in the picture at that point. So she knew what she was signing up for. Um, so I think God's brought us both on this journey where, you know, we both thought, Hey, the, the path is going to be business and, you know, financial security and success and really gave all that up, took a role with young life after 10 years of being in the, in the business world, making the least money I'd ever made in my, my life, but simultaneously being about as fulfilled as I've ever been in the fact mm -hmm. that my vocation, as far as job also matched up to what I was most passionate about. And I recognize that I think that's happening more in society, but that's still a really rare combo. But once again, if we feel like we're being asked or led to do something, we're going to do it no matter what that faith leap looks like. And so that was a huge one for me was leaving the traditional path of kind of climbing the ladder and, and each resume piece looking better than the last. I, I for all intents and purposes, took like five jumps down the, the ladder to, to do what I felt like I was supposed to do. And I think that's what excites me about this moment is you, for me personally, as I've said, and I think for Chelsea, I think it's what Jenna admires about you as well. There's a quality in you, David, that I think any listener can really attach to, and that is your life hasn't been predictable. It just hasn't. The high highs and the low lows have spoken so much to your friends, and now the staff that you lead and the community that you are running now I want to ask another like pithy question because Chelsea's been doing all the talking. Um, Stop. My ask questions, but they're short. Your questions take like a solid three minutes. I want to do. That's a, so true. I want to do a test. I swear up to this point, you have more word time than I do. Okay. But just, just, all right. Just the listeners stuff. can't see, but I'm nodding my head. Yes, David. Okay, everybody, <laughs> relax. What is one word that you think would somehow encapsulate your distinct journey with Jesus? Because I have one and it could be totally wrong, but it's how your journey has impacted me and kind of how I perceive you in a way. But could you, could you put one word to this wild, crazy journey so far that you've lived? Yeah, I mean, I'm way more curious in what word you have in your brain right now, <laughs> right? for sure. Now, now he's not thinking. Yes. So you have to promise not to change it. Uh, promise. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of a different word, but it's the only one that's come to my mind. And and I don't mean it. I think in the terms that it's normally used in within faith communities. Um, but it's just surrender. And I mm. say that in a way that's not trying to be like, yeah, you just gotta surrender your life to God. It's just literally daily waking up and just inviting God in and saying, okay, God, will you just make my desires your desires or help me to want the same things you want me to want? Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I think faith is a, is a component of that. And I think, you know, faith is a gift in the Bible too. And one we can ask for, and God will actually help us to increase that. But I do think that my natural propensity, I think God created me uh, with, with more of a gift towards faith, if you will, which is, I think, been incredibly special as I've become a part of this faith community and helped lead this faith community, given the traditions of, of even Judah, your mom and your dad, and 
where City Church and now Church Home has come from, uh, I find that pretty significant. But that's the first word that came to my mind. And yeah, I'm curious what you've got, though. I, I, I love that because I think if anyone's taking anything away from this conversation, I do hope that they get that critical moment, that acute moment, that moment of deep concentration and consecration where you said, you felt God say, let go. And you even said, David, we build up some things that stress us out. It's the construction of our own thought process that bring us to these really stressed out spaces. So so letting go, I love that. What would your one word be? Uh, my word would have been faith, mm. which David alluded to, but you've made us so curious about what you're- Have I? Yeah. That's exciting. You built the tension and you've like- Here it is. The one word for me that has impacted me and kind of summarizes David Grohl uh, bear with me. It's desperation. Mm. And here's why. Consecration is a significant theme in the Hebrew scripture and to an extent, the New Testament scripture. And I think consecration really is akin to desperation. I'm a Bible college student. I don't even know all the way what consecration means. Yeah. It's setting yourself apart for, you know, God's plan or God's work. Right. But I think David did that. But what has hit me is, David, since you were eight, you had this overwhelming sense of death. Is it the end? Is it just utter darkness? And I think it has produced in you a true desperate approach when it comes to the divine. And I actually think we all should be so desperate. Like, God, my life isn't going to work without you. My life isn't going to make sense without you. And I could literally get emotional because we have sat in many meetings with David and Jenna. And I was in those meetings and I saw the emotion in your eyes and in your body when it was like, I love the people I'm serving and now I'm asking to go to a new place. And there was a just a desperation for God. And I think Jesus has been so real to you and choosing to follow Jesus cost you in so many ways that it has produced almost a clinging. And I know this is now, now we're getting into like, I'm a preacher, but there's oh, this. Oh, now? You haven't been preaching all Okay, <laughs> everybody relax. But there's this woman who had this flow of blood, this issue, and she wiggles her way through the crowd at one point and she grabs hold of the hem of Jesus' garment because she believes that just by touching the Messiah, just by touching the holy man, the God man, that she would be healed and cured. And I think a lot of David Kroll's superpower mm. is you are still that guy. You're still the young man who is going, God, if you're real, I believe you're Jesus. And I believe that the Hebrew scriptures have led me to you. And I still see you as that guy clinging to Jesus going, oh my word. I see you as a dad doing that. I see you as a husband doing that. I see you as a leader doing that. And I think in preparation for this interview, I was like, what is it that impacts me about David? And it, there is a level of like, bro, without Jesus, I, I wouldn't be here. And I just admire that a lot. Yeah, I think David in general, the admiration that Jude and I have for you is so deep. And it's not just because of what you do, although you do your job with so much excellence. It really is who you are at the core of who you are. And we just admire you to such a depth. We normally close with two things. One is a toolkit and the second is a prayer. I just want to give a simple tool and then David, I'd love it if you would close out this episode in prayer. Normally we ask guests if they would like to, but you're on staff at church. So I'm not giving you- <laughs> No option here. You don't get an option. 
I, I, think, I think, David, what's so beautiful about your story in hearing the desperation, hearing the detours, hearing the moments where you just felt empty and realizing that in all of that, God had you. And even though you didn't know the plan mm. and you didn't have a plan, he did have a plan. Oddly enough, the tool I would love to give today isn't something that we do. Normally our toolkit is much more practical. Here's a step that you do. Here's a practice that you can involve in. It's actually a gift that you receive. And I would love to leave listeners with the gift of hope. If you feel like you're not where you're supposed to be, or you're not where you thought you would be, you haven't ruined your life, you haven't abandoned it, but that you really can have a deep measure of hope exactly where you are. So I'd love to give you that gift. David, do you want to close this out in prayer and anything else you want to say? Yeah, for sure. And, and even just to tag on to that too, Chelsea, for me, coming into working in a church context after being a guy who had a divorce, mm. I, I would just add on to that. Just so many lies we can hear in our heads around why we're disqualified for different things. That was one that mm. was really significant for me when I came on as a youth pastor. And I, I was sitting there and it, and it took me a while to be even comfortable with that just just wow. with my past and, and and it being okay to be where I was. And I just think there's probably somebody who's listening who maybe has had either a similar thing in their past, whether it's a relationship fall down or, or, or some other failure where they think they're disqualified from, you know, even their ability to step into the next season, whatever that may be. And so just encouragement that that hope that you're talking about, Chelsea, I mm -hmm. think it's just, it's yeah, real. Agree. Let me, uh, let me pray. God, thank you so much for these moments of conversation God, I just thank you for the incredible journeys that you have. Everybody who's listening right now on, God, I pray that you would help people in their times of need, that you would meet them there, that you would show to each of us how real you are in the moments where we, uh, like Judah said, are just in desperation and help us to recognize how desperate we are, even when we feel like we have it all together. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in you, for your tremendous love for us. God, I pray that you bless everybody listening right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, thank you, David, so much. This has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chelsea Smith, Judah Smith, Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Elias Tanner, Scooter Braun, Scott Manson, James Shin, and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Caitlin Plummer and Eve Bishop of OBB Sound and Kyle Vanuya of SB Projects. Produced by Lauren LaGrasso and Serena Regan of Cadence 13. Edited, mixed, and mastered by Daniel Chavez-Crook with editing support from Caitlin Plummer and Eve Bishop. Original composition by Colin Gilliard. Production support from Kristen Crosby and Dylan Martyr. OBB Sound is an OBB media company. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company.